You're listening to the World of Higher Education podcast, Season 2, Episode 16. Hello, I'm Alex Usher, and this is the World of Higher Education podcast. New Zealand's always been a place unafraid to experiment in higher education. It's partly because change is often easier to make in a small country. You can get everyone in a room a lot faster. But also because the country itself has found innovation key to its success. One of the biggest recent changes was the introduction of free first year for university students, something that was introduced by Jacinda Arden and something we discussed with a previous guest, Dave Guerin, about a year ago. Late last year, though, a new right-wing coalition government came to power in New Zealand, replacing the left-wing one that had been led by Arden's Labour Party. And they've chosen to completely invert the first-year fees policy and replace it with a, wait for it, free final-year fees policy. If this sounds silly to you, that's because it is. There's never been a back-ended subsidy policy which has been demonstrated to increase access anywhere. With me to discuss this today is Roger Smythe. He's a consultant based in Christchurch, New Zealand, former senior official in New Zealand's Ministry of Education, and he's had a privileged perch to observe changes in the country's student assistance policies over the past two decades. Roger, like me, is very skeptical about the value of the new program. But what's interesting in this interview is how much evidence it turns out actually exists that the previous policy of making first year free had almost no impact either. We've put together the documents and statistics Roger cites on this episode's landing page so you can see for yourself. But what Roger has to say is pretty damning. Basically, while the policy did transfer public money to students and left them with left debt, it appears to have engendered no behavioral shift at all. Access, quite simply, didn't increase. I think that's a pretty stunning result, which deserves wider notice and acceptance around the world. But enough for me. Let's listen to Roger. So, Roger, take us back to the beginning here. What was the inspiration for the free tuition policy in the first place? Why did labor, which introduced tuition fees in the early 1990s, why did they come to the conclusion that getting rid of tuition fees was suddenly a good idea? What were the intended outcomes of this policy? Okay. There was a range of stated reasons for the policy. It was first announced in 2016 when Labour was still in opposition at a seminar or an event about the future of work. Now, the stated rationale was that improving affordability and addressing financial barriers would reverse the declining trends in tertiary education enrollment. And as a result, this would equip New Zealanders with the advanced skills needed for future job markets. So part of the underlying rationale was that labor was very critical of the then immigration policies, which were very open immigration policies. And they were focused on bringing in people who would fill skill gaps. But uh, immigration was seen by labor as putting the country's infrastructure under stress. And also there was a bit of unemployment. So they had the view that we should be growing those skills ourselves. And hence, that would require an increase in participation. However, the actual policy didn't shift enrollments at all, not in the slightest. Nearly all New Zealand students pay their fees via the government's interest-free student loans. From a cash or liquidity point of view, fees-free didn't actually create any financial benefit for students. All it meant was that students would be graduating with a bit less debt and therefore would end up repaying their loan a bit earlier. And 
So I guess, and did that occur? So we, do we see lower debt now? Yes, there is lower debt. One of the, the things that, that has happened is that borrowing for tuition fees did reduce in the first year of the student loans, of the fees-free policy, mm-hmm. and, and has remained at that sort of level. Yes, people are graduating with a lower debt level now. But there's no difference in the sort of the upfront barrier because they could always no, borrow that no, amount no. anyway. So there's no liquidity change. Yeah. So we talked here, so that's how the policy affected students. How did it affect universities? Like here in Ontario, we've had a government that's reduced tuition fees, but not compensated universities. What was the effect on university finances of this policy? Basically, very little. Because what happens is when a student turns up at an institution, the institution makes an assessment under a set of guidelines and tools given by the government as to whether that person is eligible. Fees free. If so, the fee bill is essentially paid for by the government. In fact, almost no domestic students actually pay a fee from their bank account because if they qualify for fees free, then the bill essentially goes to the Tertiary Education Commission. If they don't qualify for fees free, the bill in most cases goes to the student loans administrator. When it comes to revenue, the effect on universities was zero. The same fee was being paid, but just from a different source. So no decrease, but no increase either. Did universities, were they pushed? Did that make them look for other kinds of revenue generation strategies, like more international students? The key thing, I, I think, is that international students do underpin the business model for universities in New Zealand, just as they do in Canada and Australia and other countries. Before COVID, Around about 19% of all university student load was international students. And each international student brings in substantially more revenue than uh, a domestic student, around about 1.6 times the, the total revenue. So the universities are very strongly incentivized to look for international students and to increase their recruitment of international students irrespective of the fees-free policy. What the, the government argued at the time we introduced this, this fees-free policy is that it would increase participation and therefore that would have increased university revenue. But actually that didn't happen. The government was at that time also very critical of the generosity of work rights given to international students who were studying at the sub-degree level, which is like your college sector. And they believed that was having a depressing effect on the lower ends of the labor market because those students were exercising these work rights and employers were exploiting them and so on. So so they were very keen to reduce the work rights of the polytechnic international students. That would have damaged the enrollments, the international enrollments of polytechs very substantially. And they were already under pressure, but they said in their election policy, your domestic students will go up by 15%. That didn't happen at all. Interesting. Okay. So uh, now the initial plan when Labour was elected, and I get 2017, 2018, the initial plan was to progressively make universities entirely free. Like the initial plan was never, let's just make first year free. The idea was you do first year, one year after you elect labor once and, and a second year after you elect labor a second time and yeah. fully free by the time you elect them a third time. But 
after his first term in office, they made to like, they went to make a manifesto for round two, and they abandoned the policy and they left the policy at simply first year free. Why? What changed? And what were the consequences of that change? After a couple of years, it was very clear that the fees-free policy had been based on a, on a false premise. Labor had assumed that fees-free would lead to a strong enrollment response and that enrollments would grow by 10 to 15%. And that costed the policy on that basis. But it was apparent after even one year that this wasn't going to happen. And enrollments hadn't shifted because the presence of the interest-free student loans meant that there was very little additional incentive on people to enroll. People were making their decisions on whether to participate based on the usual reasons, which go right back into childhood and their earlier education and so on. And all the evidence, of course, also shows that tertiary education spending, tertiary enrollment is is quite inelastic, quite uh, unresponsive, or quite insensitive to price change. And when, the, when you look at the forecasts that were made uh, of enrollments for 2018 and 19 in advance of the peace free policy, the actual outcome was within the margin of error for those. So that in a statistical sense, peace free had actually had zero impact on enrollment. It's therefore zero impact on the skill pipeline. And what this meant was that the education minister had to uh, was obliged to return to the finance minister a whole lot of provision that had been made for an increase in enrollment. And this was, this was quite embarrassing. The opposition had a field day. And also, it was quite clear how regressive the policy was, how it was largely benefiting player income or higher socioeconomic status students. So what they stated in their 2020 manifesto was that they would retain the first-year fees program and then this is a quote, but not extend that program into additional fees-free years. The COVID-19 pandemic and its economic fallout means the priority for this term is making apprenticeships and targeted areas of vocational training free. Now, that was really making a virtue of necessity. So what were the consequences of abandoning the second and third phases? Pretty much nothing. The enrollment trends have continued to follow the pattern that is essentially responding to the demography of the country and the labor market trends. Interesting. And so w was there a formal evaluation? I'm not sure what the culture of public policy evaluation is in New Zealand. Was there a, a monitoring system put in place? What did they find formally? Okay. So the Ministry of Education had a monitoring program and they've published data under that program progressively. They, and they've looked at things like participation rates, what share population is enrolling, study load to check if there's a split, uh, shift between from full-time to part-time to full-time study, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. They looked at pass rates of the courses that make up qualifications, and they looked at qualification completion rates. The key point about that is that not one of those measures showed any shift. If you look at the long-term trends, say, in part and completion rates and that sort of thing, in fact, it was completely unaltered in these time series. The only thing that did change was student loan borrowing. Borrowing right. for tuition fees dropped in the first year of the fees-free program by about 19%, and that was pretty much what you would have expected. So the only conclusion you could draw when you look at the monitoring data is that this policy is pure deadweight. So all this expenditure and 
zero behavioral change. The one factor that wasn't covered in the ministry's monitoring program, which probably should have been, and it's now clear from, from one report that was recently published, that the proportion of high socioeconomic status students since Bees Free started has increased. Now that's the reverse of what the, the government had expected and wanted. They wanted low socioeconomic status groups to increase their share of the enrollment. And because they had made the assumption that the barrier was financial, the barriers to low socioeconomic status participation are much more complex than simply fee levels. Interesting. Okay. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is brought to you by the newly launched Boreal Education. Boreal empowers post-secondary institutions in Canada to grow and develop their online programs and digital learning strategies. Across the country, the universities and colleges they work with are looking for innovative ways to increase enrollments from online and professional students while creating high-quality digital learning experiences along the way. Through Boreal's Online Program Management, or OPM, partnerships, they help institutions adapt to the changing profile of learners and rethink the program design and delivery strategies needed for long-term growth. As a Canadian company, Boreal understands the unique needs of our post-secondary institutions and have catered the proven OPM model to the market. If your institution wants to reimagine an existing face-to-face program for online delivery or create a new program altogether, reach out to the Boreal team to discuss how they could help. Learn more at borealedu.ca. And we're back. Okay, we talked about the COVID election. Just a couple of months ago, we had another election because in New Zealand, you go about every three years. And, and in this recent election, there was a coalition led by the right-wing National Party and that replaced the, the left-wing Labour coalition. What were the key issues in this election as it related to higher education? How did the higher education agenda play out? So what was National's position on the first-year fees? Okay. Higher education featured hardly at all during the, the election campaign. National had two focus areas for tertiary education leading up to the election. And those were the restoration of international education, which is still suffering the hangover of COVID, and also the unpicking the labor reforms to vocational education, where they, the labor government merged the country's 16 polytechnics and all the industry training providers and so on. And National is going to unpick that. Their published policy does not even mention these three. I want to shift over to the issue again of what universities are doing. One of the things that I've noticed in the, maybe a coincidence, but that's happened since around the time of the election is there's a lot of New Zealand universities that are announcing cutbacks. So what's the cause of the financial squeeze on institutions? And did the first year free policy have anything to do with it? The most important driver of the, the squeeze that's occurred in a number of universities is the hangover from COVID. Right. So international students, as I said earlier, are a key part of the business model and they keep the system solvent. They keep the institution solvent. In New Zealand, the COVID lockdown started just after the 2020 academic year got underway and there was a 9% drop in international students that year. That was hurt, but it was survived. 
Some mm-hmm. institutions went into deficit, but not at all. Then in 2021, borders were still closed. There was another drop in international students, not a further 15%. So they were phasing out as, as they were completing. That loss was offset by a surge in domestic enrollments in response, nothing to do with fees, but in response to a really severe downturn in the labor market, which had followed that first year of lockdowns or which accompanied that first year of lockdowns. That was, that meant that universities did quite well financially in, in 2021. In fact, all eight universities returned to surplus that year. But 2022 saw a really overheated economy. So domestic enrollments plunged in response to the strong labor market. Inflation was up. Funding rates were, were pretty much fixed. International students fell further. And there's where the financial squeeze occurred. It was domestic students falling and international students falling at the same time. One or two institutions had taken very tough decisions in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. And those institutions right. suffered less. Yeah. But those that hadn't taken action back in 2020, they were the ones who really suffered. Now, there were only, in 2022, only two universities of the eight reported an operating surplus. And one of those was pretty marginal. Right. So several are now facing serious financial squeezes. But none of that is due to fees free. Okay, so let's go back to the fees free. Winston Peters, his party is proposing shifting fees from first year to the final year. Why? What problem does free final year pretend to solve? Because it can't be about access. That is a great question. The first thing I would say is that coalition negotiations are always peculiar and always unpredictable. As a populist party, what NZ First was doing was they played hardball on policies that had a very high publicity impact and that uh, carried a sway with their mostly older voting base. On these three, there, was a, there, there were people who argued at the time when Labour introduced the first year fees three, what we should be doing is incentivizing people to complete, not to enroll. And therefore, why don't you make it final year? Now, that's, that's the incentives to complete for a, an existing student who's partway through their, their studies are really strong. And making the final year fees free will not, my prediction, will not make any difference. The operational policy on this has yet to be done, but it'll be something like this. Suppose you reach the end of your program and you are eligible to graduate and this is your first qualification. And if you have passed all your coursework on the pathway to completion, then they would write off the fees loan for the equivalent of one one year of of your loan. That is supposed to create an incentive for people to work hard and pass all their papers on the way to completing their qualification. That is, the natural incentives are so strong. This is likely to be pure deadweight expenditure too. All it does is it reduces the time to repay your loan. And therefore, you get the financial benefit when you are working and earning at the point when you don't need it. So it's coalition politics can sometimes throw up weird results. And this is one such case. 
So how did students react to all this? I'm sure they liked the initial labor plan, but how did they feel about labor abandoning the plan? And what are their views on the new plan? Right. I suppose if you look at where the National Students Association comes from, their campaign over the recent years has been for a, a study wage, a living at the li level of the living wage or that sort of thing, a universal study income at a much higher rate than is currently the income support that's currently provided through the loan scheme. And they want the abolition of fees and they want the abolition of the loan scheme. To some extent, from their point of view, the first year free was a nice thing, but it really wasn't what they were after. The Green Party, which was a, a party in, in the mix in the last two in the Labour-led coalitions, was this is pretty much their policy is to go for a study wage at, at a high rate with no fees. What ordinary students, as opposed to student politicians, thought of the abandonment of the second and third phases is hard to gauge. I think that the move away from those second and third phases of the policy was probably seen by most people and including most students as being inevitable, given the fact that the, the first year policy had failed to achieve its objectives mm -hmm. and was clearly seen to have low credibility. What they think of the final year, NZUSA has made no comment yet. I think that we'll have to wait and see how they, they react when the operational policy is designed and announced. So how do you see this playing out over the next few years? As left and right-wing governments alternate, are, are we going to see the pendulum swing back and forth between first year free and last year free? And every third cohort will get two years of assistance and every and one cohort will get no assistance at all? I don't think that's going to happen. In terms of people getting two cracks at the apple, like people who got first year, they will almost certainly be excluded from the final year. At least if I was still in a policy position, that I would be advising that, that nobody should get two cracks at the app. I don't think Labour will restore this these three when they come back. If they get back in 2026 or 2029, they will be obviously in coalition with the Greens and or Te Party Māori, the Māori Party. Both of those argue for much greater living cost support for students. My expectation is that a left-leaning coalition, if it comes in, would focus on student living costs rather than, than in, in, on fees. There would be pressure from the Greens and probably from the Party Māori to push for, for restoration of fees free, but Labour would be chastened by the failure of its policy to deliver on its goals. So. It's hard to say. I, I don't think that National either has a very, has a particular strong commitment to this New Zealand First policy. It's likely that at the end of one term, they will see that it's pretty much dead weight. They will be hoping to make it back into power in 2026, free from coalition with New Zealand First and with its preferred partner, the ACT Party, in which case we might well see the end of these three at that stage. Hard to, hard to predict. Roger, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for being with us today. Pleasure. And it just remains for me to thank our excellent producers, Tiffany McLennan and Sam Pufik, and you, our listeners, for tuning in.
If you have any comments or suggestions for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to contact us at podcasts at higheredstrategy.com. Join us next week when our guest will be Professor Morshidi Sirat, Director of Malaysia's National Higher Education Research Institute. We'll be talking about recent developments in that country's tertiary education sector. Bye for now. The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production, produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufek, hosted by Alex Usher, music by T. Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.